Hello and welcome to another TNC podcast special. I haven't been this excited to get stuck into a yellow and green conversation in a long time. 135 appearances, four glorious goals, two-time title winner, five years at our club, packed full of passion and professionalism, former captain, fan favourite. Ready? Christoph Zimmerman. Christoph, how are you doing, mate? Good, good. Thanks for having me on the show today. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Thanks for mentioning all those uh, those games, those achievements. It's always it always sounds good to hear about that, and obviously the the chant as well. Excellent, great singing. It is a pleasure to have you on. It's been a goal for for some time. I noticed there, Christoph, you started with a, a sharp intake of breath, almost like, oh, what have I got myself into? So th- <laughs> this could be interesting. This could be interesting. Um, Christoph, let, let's start at the beginning. That's always the best place to start. And the thing that always baffles me about your career is that you almost just became a teacher, right? And I want to ask you, like, how close were, how close were you before... Daniel Farker or Stuart Webber picked up the phone to you? Um, so basically, in 2016, uh, I was going into my last contract and uh, to my, my last year in, uh, in Dortmund. And it was like German, German type of League Two. And so I said to myself, look, I don't want to play League Two level until I'm 35 and retire and have nothing, nothing else, nothing, no qualification. So that's when I started studying. And then, um, obviously, in 2017, my, my thought was to continue studying if nothing good, no good opportunity in football came along. Um, and then um, I, I wasn't I wasn't qu- quite ready to give up on football yet because I felt I had too many years. And you mentioned Gladbach in a good academy, Hof Dortmund, and I thought, those clubs, I just couldn't retire at 24, never having played on a real professional level. So I was still hoping for something. And then I was in contact with a Danish side um, who were in the relegation battle at that point. And um, it was the only or the best option I had, to be fair. Um, Unfortunately, they got relegated to the second Danish tier. And um, that's when you then get second thoughts. You want to play second tier in in Denmark. Nothing else was coming. So I was getting ready for, for that, I have to say. And then um, it was... I was talking to their sporting director. I even flew out to Denmark. I've seen the training ground and everything. And in my head, I thought, okay, I'm doing it. And that was probably on a Tuesday or Wednesday. <clears throat> and then um, their sporting director said, look, from next week on, I would, like we would need a decision because obviously we need to plan our squad as well. I said, completely understand. And I don't want to uh, keep you longer or keep you waiting. So. Um, in my head, I said, okay, I'm going to Denmark. And then, no joke, Sunday night, 11 p.m., I got a WhatsApp message from Daniel Farker, who was asking me whether I already signed somewhere. And um, I said, look, this is the situation. I haven't signed anywhere yet, but I'm very close to signing with the Danish side. Mm-hmm. And I need to tell them my decision in the week starting tomorrow or starting in an hour time. So um, that's basically how close it was to more or less getting to to Denmark. So I wasn't saying if there's nothing coming, I'm going to quit playing football. It was more, no, I'll try my luck in Denmark. Probably it's working there. We can get promoted. 
play in the first league in Denmark, probably or you could sign for a better club there, probably have a career there somewhere abroad. And then um, I think it was on the on the Wednesday or Thursday where then, um, yeah, my agent talked to stewards and they got everything to, together for the medical. And then a few days later, I was flying over, did the medical. Um, and another five days later, I think I sort of emigrated. Um, so it was it was more the decision at that point. Yes, I did study. I, I started studying. I was already in my studies for a year. And this was sort of my backup. But it was more between Denmark second tier or than Norwich and obviously that was uh, a no-brainer for me I was very grateful and and I was so thankful also to the sporting director of that football club because they didn't put any pressure on me it mm. wasn't like okay take it or leave it they've given me the week to think about it and then when I had to tell them look unfortunately I'm not gonna sign for you because um, I've got a great opportunity with Norwich they were very understanding and just wished me all the best for for my time in England and um, that's something I I didn't expect to experience in that business but yeah so it was close but not between teaching and Norwich but be uh, between yeah it was Esberg so the club that uh, we signed Lungi from oh right okay and funnily enough at that point they didn't have a manager so i think lungi's father was the caretaker at that point so it was we found out probably two two years ago when we had lungi and his father over for christmas that's when we wow. found out so, so he said like do you, do you know who's been the manager at that point i said oh he said yeah i was in charge as caretaker oh uh, so funny nice. coincidence and when when we then signed lungi and i said oh he came from esberg i had to talk to him about that and i told him the story as well it's uh Funny how how sometimes those things uh, all just go together, mate. Such a such a small world there, and, and yeah. I, find it, I find it crazy to think that this beautiful Christopherson and Norris City story was so like literally a day out from not happening. Like that's just absolutely mad. So when Daniel Farker WhatsApps you, it was it a message? Was it a voice note? Like did he have to persuade you, or was it like it was a text? It was a text message. Okay. A fairly short one saying, look, have you already signed somewhere? And I said, no, but that's the situation at hand. And then from there, it was a bit like, okay, give me a few days. Probably there's an opportunity here. And um, that, that's how it started. And then obviously it went like the official way with stewards and, uh, mm -hmm. and my agent and they got everything lined up. I want to I want to ask you about you, you mentioned there just you, you immigrated right, Christoph, and and that was a big step. And at the time, that was very much the beginning of an era where Norwich City didn't really sign that many foreign players, and you were very much the the trailblazer in, in that department. How tough is it to settle into life in Norfolk from a foreign country, and what did the club do to make you feel comfortable? Because of course now Norwich City have gone a level above with signing players from um, South America now as well, which is even yeah. further away than Germany. So. What is it like, you know, ad adapting to life in the UK from, you know, from when, when you've been abroad? It was very, very easy. It was made very easy for me, I have to say. Okay. Because um, the people in and around the area, in and around the club, have been have been so welcoming, so so amazing to me. And then later on also to my family when my wife came over and when we had children. It's been um, it's been it's been brilliant for us. And I think I mentioned that also at the Reading game when I was invited over that. For us, it's still somehow home, even though we're from we're from Germany. But this is sort of where we grew as a family, where our first child was born. Where, yeah, if if my wife had stayed ten days longer in the UK, if the second the second would have born there as well. So, 
it's been um, it's been a great time. And also when I when I came there, the good thing for me was, or the easy thing was, obviously that I knew Daniel and Eddie and Christo Mogala. So I know the I knew the coaching stuff that made it a bit easier. Um, and I think Mario Brancic signed five days before I did. So you have some someone to relate to, someone, um, yeah, as a as a sort of. I wouldn't I wouldn't say friend because you haven't really known each other, but it's sort of your contact, the guy you, you can talk to. And sometimes for us easier also just to stay in our mother tongue and to talk German. So that makes things a bit easier. Yeah. And um but, but everyone in the club has looked after after me and after us very well. I think Russ Martin played a very big role because whenever you feel like, oh, I need an electrician, I need this, I need that. <laughs> We knew, we knew every everyone, so you could just talk to him. You could talk to Phil, um, and people would just help out and always have an like take time, take time to listen to whatever you needed, and then make an effort to make it as comfortable as you can. And also, I think on my first or second training day, I got to know Delian Michael and Stefan Phillips, who's I think vice president now, and he knows a few words of German. So we sort of um, got a connection straight away, and that was that was very positive. And um, then when my parents came over a few months later, they were welcomed very warmly. And the clubs always made an effort to make us feel home, and they certainly succeeded doing that. I thought for a minute, Zimbo, you were going to say you had uh, the Norfolk Cafu Russell Martin round to change your light bulbs and uh, <laughs> you know, fix all your electrician's needs. I love it. And, Christoph, so you start, let's fast forward a bit now. So you start playing for Norwich City um, and all of a sudden you hear your chant, 27,000 people, Christoph Zimmerman. What does that feel like? Like you must have just been on cloud nine when we started chanting that. Yeah, definitely. Because um, I never had a a chant in my name before. Um, First of all, I couldn't quite believe my, my ears and it's, it's always um, like giving you this this little extra boost, and sometimes with me it was it was more like I went had a good tackle, or when sometimes I even kicked the ball on the stands or so. But it was a good a good scene for me, a good action in the game, and people would um, sort of honor that by by chanting the song. So um, I feel it's it still puts a little smile on your face whilst you're on the pitch, and also I think that happens. In my last season, a bit too much when I was on the bench and warming up and running towards the snake pit, it was always this little anticipation. I, I know it's coming now, and you have <laughs> in your face, and you feel okay. Still, still be serious because if you come on, it's important. Like, don't get too carried away just because the fans love it and you love it. But it was, um, it was always good fun. I really enjoyed it. You, you created such a strong connection with the Norwich City fans straight away, Christoph, and I've never ever seen a Norwich City player there's obviously a thing in in English football certainly I'm not sure what it's like in German football but at the end of a season the squad do a lap of honour around the pitch right Mm. you did a lap of honour around the pitch every game to shake the fans hands to have pictures to you know show them appreciation what made you do that because that's not normal in English football Christoph but you made that extra effort for for the Yellow Army and and I wanted to know why why I think it's a bit more common over here. Um, so when I had my first uh, my first game for Darmstadt, um, actually I think I played, I came on, I played 40 minutes, and I felt the celebrations afterwards because we won two one, were longer than, than the minutes I played. And um, 
it sort of reminded me, oh yeah, that's where it started because in Germany, I think it's more common to applaud the fans to sort of, yeah, show appreciation, to, to, to say thank you, or even sometimes when you had a bad game to sort of yeah, apologize for the performance. Um, because I felt um, probably it's also given just the, the sheer biography, uh, um, geography of, of Norwich that we're quite far out in, in the East. So I felt it's important to have that bond a bit like us against the rest. And you're always stronger when you have the supporters on your side um, and other than when you're, when you're sort of fighting on your own. And I mean, there have been certainly in my second season with the promotion, there have been so many games that we won very late on. And I think that's probably come down to, on the one hand, the, the opponents being a bit fearful or too respectful because you know, oh, they can always score 85th plus minutes. And then that gets in their heads and we had the confidence we can always do but you could also feel sometimes the excitement of the supporters yeah it's a draw but we're getting into mm. the final minutes of the game we know we're going to get our chances we know we're going to score so there have been so many games and you feel like you then feel on the pitch the excitement on the crowd that sort of drives you forward drives you to goal and then in the end makes you score and it's just a, a great feeling i remember those like millwall games the fourth three at home or the three three against Forest games that are normally just just not possible to to happen in the fashion they did, but I feel we made it happen because of the supports from the stands, and that's something you should never underestimate. Um, so that's the impact that the supporters have during the game, but then also I feel um, for for me it's. It's, it used to be my hobby and it's become my, my job. It's my, it's my profession to be a footballer. Um, but for so many people, it's so much more. It's, it means everything to them. It's, I mean, for us, it's okay, you have a bad game. It might ruin the next couple of days. But then you crack on, you have the next one. But for some, it's, um, it's religion to, to, to them. It's, it means more than words can describe. So if we have a great game, if we win, it makes a day, it makes a week. And if we don't, they may feel more miserable than the players, actually. And I think um, that responsibility and also what you can what you can achieve, certainly within Norfolk, when it's a it's a one club county, even um, I think there's just so many things that that play into this equation. And I felt I just felt it was it was right to do it. I just felt it was right to thanks uh, to, to say thank you for the support. You're saying all the right things, Christoph. You can definitely come on again. I love it. And we're so great, by the way. The fans are genuinely grateful. I want to tell that to you directly right now for, for all of those little things that made such a big difference. You're very right. It is religious. To most fans, it is everything. It does cheer us up. And all those little things make a huge difference. Christoph, I want to talk about your first season. It was a yeah. bit of a peculiar season. And obviously, it was the start of this epic transformation and journey that we went on under, under Daniel Farker. And... Um, what was that first season like, right? Because we were sort of meandering around mid-table, even at times, maybe near the bottom. Yeah. You know, the brilliance of James Madison arguably kept us where we were. What was that first season like for you? And what do you remember about that? And did you honestly believe at that point you would then go on to absolutely obliterate the league the following season? Uh, good question. Um, the short answer is no. Um to extend it a little bit, well, first season, obviously, very exciting for me. First game, Craven Cottage, 
you play Fulham, who've been in the, the Premier League for a long time. So you start off with great games. Um, we had a good cup run playing Arsenal. So all of a sudden you go from playing the reserves of uh, of Schalke, of Cologne, you go to play in a way at, at Arsenal. So it's a huge step. And therefore it's been a bit like, um, you need to sort of really tell yourself, oh, this is actually happening. It's not a dream, it's actually happening. Um, and there have been many great moments in that first season for me personally, because it was the first time I played there and there and there. Yeah. Obviously the season itself didn't go that well. Um, so yeah, as I said, mid-table. Yeah, I think the closest we got to the drop zone was probably seven points clear just before Christmas. And then on Boxing Day, we played Birmingham away. We won 2 nil. And therefore, it was sort of clear, okay, we won't really get into trouble, but the top six are miles away as well. I think the only time we've been in the top six was after we'd beat Nipswich away. Standard. Um, standard, 1-0, James Madison. Um, and um, then we were sitting in sixth, and that was the only time during that season. So we didn't really have, then probably for the last 20 games, there's too much to play for. And... Um, it's yeah you could you could say sometimes that helps you can play and there's no pressure but it's a bit boring as well certainly when you see the four seasons that came after always with promotion and relegation so that was a bit more exciting definitely and um we've done an analysis at the end of the season and i think in terms of possession chances created clear-cut chances we were in every stats in the top three even in that season but our conversion was bottom of the table, 24th. Mm. And it's it's taken, obviously, that, that's, that's that um, Daniel Farke came up with. Because I think he was convinced of his philosophy and with the squad we had and with the players we were still about to get in in that summer transfer window, that we can achieve something, something great. But it's sometimes difficult to see if you feel like, yeah, but in that season we just fallen away to Millwall. And we got hammered 5-1 at Sheffield Wednesday, the last game of the season. Probably my worst game for the club. And um, so then to see, look, actually, it's not all been that bad. It's not all been that mid-table. There's a lot of aspects that we're really good at. We just yeah. have to take more chances. And we need to believe that our way is the right way. But still, when you then finish 14th, I think level on points with Ipswich, worst goal difference, yeah, that's not ideal. And that's takes a lot of conviction, a lot of belief to think, oh, we could actually do it the next season. And then obviously the second season, we didn't start well. Um, so I think the belief probably went down a bit more. And then all of a sudden it kicked off. And I think that's something that Stuart's Daniel have always seen, have always believed in, yeah. which is why they've, they've given us, the team, the managing staff, everything around it, that whole project, a bit more time. Yeah. And also I think the first season was sort of, yeah, but class is a season in transition. It's a big change. Many players are going to leave. The squad's probably a bit a bit too old. We need to change the squad. And that takes two or three transfer periods. And then obviously we had great signings with Tim Krul, with Temu, with Emmy, just to mention a few of them. And yeah, I think the second season then spoke for itself. And we will speak about that that season in, in length, Christoph. Um, you actually mentioned a particular game. Um, you've taken the words out of my mouth. And I want to specifically go to you on this. Your first season, it was your first season, wasn't it? We went to Arsenal in the Cup. 
Yeah. And I vividly remember Daniel Farker revealing in, in his press conference that he'd had a conversation with a certain Arsene Wenger um, okay. who, uh, who said that, where, where did you find this Christoph Zimmerman bloke from? Like, where was he? Who is he? How did you get him? And I want to ask you, Christoph, like, how did that, how did that feel to like hear praise from like such a legendary, iconic, um, hugely successful manager? That must have just been bad for you. Like, don't forget you're about to stop football and then all of a sudden Arsene Wenger's praising you. Like, how do you, how do you yeah. cope? Yeah, that was um, a bit surreal. And it's, it's taken a few days for me to actually find, find out about that story. I didn't know it like the day after. It's taken a week or so. Yeah, then there's apparently that Menger must have asked him where he found me, where he got me from. And then that fact said, well, I had him in, in the fourth tier Germany, so there wasn't much looking out for him. Um, and I think no one could have expected that that uh, development. Um, but yeah, I think Arsene Menger, I don't know how many, I think it was over 20 seasons he's had with Arsenal. He's, I think, to Arsenal, um, what, what Sir Alex Ferguson is to United supporters. So I think that's um, he's, he's one of the one of the best coaches to have ever coached on that level. And then simply having him um, yeah, saying my name in a positive way is uh, praise enough. And it was, um, as I said, surreal that um, he then was, was talking to Daniel about me. And it's uh, definitely one of, the, one of the very good memories I had about that game. You didn't say to to Daniel Farker, Daniel, you know you WhatsApp me. Do you mind if I WhatsApp Arsene Wenger? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't change those five years for the world. <laughs> I joke, I joke. Um, Christoph, we, we we obviously have to talk about that iconic season, 2018-19. It will be in Norwich City folklore forever. We will be forever grateful for all of the effort and 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 skill and, and passion and and leadership you put into that season. What what are your overriding reflections on on that season? And and, and actually, crucially, when did you think? something special was happening. Tom Tribal and Mario Vrancic both said it was Leeds away. Was that the same for you or did you believe it would happen before that? Um, first of all, well, where do I start? I, I start with the last question. I start with the last question. Um, I remember we played Derby away. It was a 1-1 draw in the first half of the season. Not the reverse fixture, but we lost 4-3 at home. Yeah. Um, but the away game where Tim Closer scored and I was sharing a room with Tim Closer and I, I think it was a night game and it was just like you could sort of I, I felt this was the beginning where I felt we've got something special about the group I think something special is happening so I was trying from that point on to also enjoy it whilst it was happening because knowing myself I like to finish the job and then I can enjoy. But the problem is when you finish the job, it's the end of the season, there's not an awful lot to enjoy, probably two weeks. And then the off-season program starts and then pre-season starts because it always goes on. After one good season comes the next season. Yeah. And then comes the next and the next and the next. So sometimes it's a fine line between staying focused but also enjoying it while it's happening. So that was sort of the first hint, I would say, where I thought this, is, this could be something good. This could be really successful. And um, then we had our Christmas due in, in Madrid. And we were, I think, together just with probably 12, 10, 12 players. And I remember, uh, I remember we, um, we were at a, at a bar and um, we were talking. And I think Grant Henley then mentioned, what do you think? 
do you think we can actually make it? Do you think we can get promoted? And that was probably, what was it? After the Bolton, after the Bolton home game, we won 3-2. Temu Puki, 93rd minute, I think, saved the day. And then we flew out to Madrid. So that was probably after 20, 20, not even 23 game days. So not even half the season were play, was played. We were top of the table, yes, but it was still a long way to go. And then I think all 10 of us said, yeah, I think we can, we, we, we can do it. Christoph, I thought for a minute you were saying when you were in this bar in Madrid, it was after 20 pints that you decided you would uh, you would go up. So <laughs> that's brilliant and, and fascinating. No, <laughs> ever the professional, ever the professional. And Christoph, a, a basic question, an obvious question, but one that I have to ask you, of course. If there was a single game, a single moment for Christoph Zimmerman at Norwich City, what would the game be and why? I'm always, with this one, I'm always torn between two games. Okay. Either the 4-3 against Millwall, because yeah. that emotion, like, that sort of roller coaster that we went through in the first half was poor, 1-0 down, deserved to be 1-0 down. And then just how we did it, we turned the game, I think, about 80 minutes. Moritz scored, we were 2-1 up, and we thought, yeah, that's us, that's how it goes, so we're going to win this. And then out of nothing, we make two mistakes. And all of a sudden, with 86 minutes played, we found ourselves 3-2 down. And we're thinking, we should, home game against Milwaukee, we should win this game. And then obviously, seven minutes added on, 92nd and 97th, then when, when Temu scored the winner. And we felt like the, the, the stadium was falling apart. It was, <laughs> it was really, it was surreal, I think. When we scored, everyone was running to Tim and I just dropped on my knees in the center circle and I just couldn't believe what we just happened what, what just happened. So that's definitely one. And the other one is the final whistle after Blackburn, just because of yeah. the because of the meaning of that game. And I remembered yeah, we were obviously two great goals, Mario score, screamer. And um then with, I think it was just three minutes added on. And then, because there's no no time for 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 edit time, so you don't know. It's is it already 92 minutes now? Is it already 93? You just sort of guess, and I felt surely we will have played two minutes already of those three added on, and with two one up, the draw is enough. We're not going to concede to. We've done it. So this last moment of the game, where you know you've done it, nothing can happen. And then last cross comes in. I had it clear, and, and then the ref blows the whistle. Just this the emotion also, and that's. And that second when the ref blew the whistle and obviously the celebrations afterwards will always be great memories. So the goal against Millwall, the 4-3, and then the final whistle are very close. But if I had to choose one, I'd probably go for the black one. Okay, okay. I will I, I'm not surprised. I, I I remember seeing you walk around as usual, your lap of honor. <laughs> Um, but but this time you had your German flag wrapped around you after that game and you're walking around and you were visibly emotional. I vividly remember, you know, the Christoph Zimmermann chant in the Lower Barclay that, that day when you walked past and absolutely epic. Um, Christoph, I'm going to be a bit brave with you now. Uh, and you, you mentioned that team Millwall. Um, yeah. I have to bring up something that I think might be quite difficult for you. But if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you the question. And, and, sure. and that's in the Millwall reverse fixture that season you remember we we had that awful well, I personally thought it was awful that lime green kit um and, and we won away at Millwall and I remember that day you had scored and when you scored 
Um, it was a header, wasn't it? Classic. Of course it was. Of course it was. <laughs> I remember that day, You, your celebration was, you know, pointing up to the sky. You were very, very emotional. Yeah. Why was that? Um, yeah, basically, that was, um, that was a personal reason. My, um, on the night from Tuesday to Wednesday, my grandpa had died. Was um, he was ninety three, and um, whilst I was playing in Germany, for every um, game in the academy, he would my parents and I we would pick him up at eight in the morning, nine in the morning because the games were normally played at eleven, and um, he would come watch the games. So he's always followed that uh, that my path very very closely, and um, also I think whilst I was playing in England then. Some people on the streets were talking. Ah, I've seen your, I've seen your grandson on TV, or I've, I've read in the newspapers they're doing well. And you said, Yeah, yeah, they're doing well. So um, I think he was always um, quite proud of what uh, his grandchildren had done. So my brother and I, and um, yeah. So the night from Tuesday to Wednesday, he he sadly passed away, and then we played Millwall on the Saturday, and. I think the last game I scored was over a year ago at, at Wolverhampton. And then, mm. of course, the very game after he passed away, you score a goal, and it was a, an important one. Um, so I think in that moment, it was just... Because it's it's not been the easiest couple of days in the build-up to that game. And then you know Millwall away, it's a difficult place to go. At the end, I think that was, I think, uh, the 2-1. We finished the game 3-1. And... Um, the first one was obviously when I scored the header that all the emotions sort of sort of came out, mm. and then uh, also after the game where I felt, come on, I have to keep it together here. Um, but it's been yeah, it's been a very special moment, and I I sort of then obviously dedicated the goal uh, to him, um, and probably even harder was the week after because then we played Swansea on a Friday night. Yeah. On the first day was a funeral, wow. so in Germany, obviously. And um, so Wednesday after training, the following, so the week after Millwall and Wednesday after training, I flew out to to Düsseldorf, stayed overnight. Thursday morning was the was the funeral. I missed training. I flew back Thursday afternoon, got back to Colney around six p.m. Did a, an individual session, and then yeah, the next morning. Um, we just had like a 30-minute activation, then we went to the hotel. And then Friday night we, we played Swansea. Emmy scored 1-0. We won the game. Yeah. And uh yeah, that's that's been that's been tough, I have to say. Just mm. being on the pitch, having having won the game 1-0, and then the game finished, everyone's happy, everyone's joyful, and you feel like something's not right. Like just yesterday morning I was in Düsseldorf, I stood at his grave, and mm. it's been it's been tough ten days, I would say. But I was just so happy that we finished it with uh, with two wins. It didn't cost us any points. I managed to be at the funeral, and um, at the end of the day, it all worked out. But those are yeah, those are the probably the moments that obviously some of the supporters have noticed with the goal at Millwall. But um, you don't really talk about it too much because it's it's personal. You're keeping it to yourself as well. But um, yeah, that's been about four years. Four years gone now. So 
yeah, that's the story behind it. I'm, I'm obviously incredibly sorry to hear that, Christoph, and I really appreciate you talking about it. One of the things that we that we want to do on this on this podcast, this, this channel, is to, you know, talk openly about grief. And um, you obviously don't need me to say it, but you, he'd be incredibly proud of you. And I know that the Norwich fans listening and watching this now would be saying the same thing. You know, he would be incredibly proud of you, Christoph. And I'm to be honest, I'm choking up a little bit because it's quite emotional. But yeah, no, I'm I, I'm. Um, I'm really pleased and so happy for you that you scored on that day at Millwall. And I'm so pleased, well <laughs> um, you know, because, you know, I think that it was almost meant to be, right? It was written in the yeah. style for you to do it that day. So thank you for sharing that so openly with us, Christoph. So, Christoph, um, let's let's go happy now, OK? And let's talk about your team. Of course, every special guest that comes on the channel, we get them to submit their best Norwich City team, the best Norwich City 11. This mm -hmm. yours, my friend. So, God, blimey, there's some there's some players in this team. I mean, I guess talk talk us through it. I mean, talk us through this from back to front, starting with with Timmy Krul, a, a, a yeah. leader of men, and and what what a goalkeeper he is. Yeah, I was very excited when we signed him. Obviously, getting him on a free was one of the one of the best um, transfers I think the club has made, along with with Temo, to get those two players in for free was um, unbelievable. And um, I think I also shared some great moments with him. Certainly, those promotions really tie you together. And then uh, we had, I think I was I was injured the first Premier League season for the first couple of games, played the West Ham game, and then I had one one block. And there's a picture of me getting up because I blocked it for a corner. A bit later, I got injured by Allah. Yeah. 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 And I'm furious about that, Christoph. So I'm still, I'm so angry about that. I was in the stands at West Ham. I was like, yeah. oh, you dare do that to Christoph. I was just yeah. so angry. You must have been so frustrated that day. I was, I was gutted. And obviously it happened and I still carried on for another 10 minutes because I didn't want to believe it was happening. And then all of a sudden you feel like I can't take a step. So I had mm. to come on. But yeah, there's a picture where we celebrate because I blocked the ball out for a corner and it's that emotion that we had, that understanding that we had. You and Tim, yeah. That bond, exactly. So that's why I had to just, I just had to put him in goal. Obviously, yeah, we also played many, many games together. Christoph, you might, you might feel a bit bad now, but just on the topic of goalkeepers, um, another thing that we do on this podcast is we get messages from your former teammates. Yes. You didn't put Angus Gunn in goal. You've given it to Timmy Krull, but Angus Gunn has sent me a WhatsApp. Um, so okay. I'm going to share it with you now. He says, hi, guys. Few words about Zimbo. What a guy. Remember one of the first signings the season I joined on loan, and he was instantly a big part of the dressing room. He was a great role model for me personally at the time. He was always doing extra work in the gym, recovery, and it really, really made a big difference. The biggest memory has to be that header against Wolves. Unbelievable. <laughs> but to be fair, it was his missed clearance in the first place. So I think he was trying hard to make up for that. The things that I won't miss is his fashion sense. It was nothing sort short of horrendous. <laughs> Three quarter length jogging bottoms, chest open, knee length tops, and worst of all, his footwear. He seemed to rotate his navy toms with his light brown army boots, and sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes his knackered old gym trainers. I will miss laughing at this, though. A top guy and a great specimen. 
from Angus Gunn. What's your reaction to that? Uh, I would love to disagree about the fashion style, but he's <laughs> on there. Yeah, that's, that was the first season. I feel that has improved. It couldn't get much worse, to be honest. Um, he's spot on about the clearance as well. Yeah, I was just trying to make up for giving the ball away. That yeah. gets forgotten a few times, but whenever I see the clip, you can see, I think Mario plays it back to me and then I missed, I, I, I sort of, I just didn't want to kick it long because I thought, oh, we're 2-1 down. I wanted to keep yeah. the ball, but I don't know. I made a mess of it. And then, yeah, I think it was funny because then the ball was in the box. Grant was sliding in or slipping away. I don't know. And then I was on the ground and just looked like, like a car crash. Um, but at the end of the day, Ang I sort of tackled the ball. Angus saved it then and we had it back. And then obviously 94th minute, uh, Nelson scored to, to save the day and to get us a point. So it was worth something. Um, yeah. But, but thanks, anyway. to Angus. thanks to Angus for that lovely text and for the great memories. And yeah. Some nice words, but also some uh, some pretty uh, harsh bands from your fashion sense. Anyway, Zimbo. We, we There's spoke... a lot of truth behind it, yeah. <laughs> We've spoken about Tim. We've spoken about Pookie. Um, yep. I'll tell you another player that I think would be good to chat about on here is Oliver Skip. Oh. How, much, how much of a difference did he make in that promotion season? I, I remember singing Oliver Skip, we want you to stay. I think you boys were singing that to him as well. Yeah. He was he was an awesome player for us, wasn't he? Uh, he? He was, I would say, the unsung hero. But then I think halfway through the season, people have seen, oh, he's, he's the key for us. Mm. He's doing all the dirty work. He's the one covering 12, 13 kilometers every game, winning every every of his of his challenges and just his positioning was great he was playing smart whenever he, he felt like oh we need to calm the game down he played the right passes when he had to play forward he played the right passes and then i think um, the celebration when he scored the 3-1 at birmingham i think we broke an account in 97 minute jordan Hugel won a header at the own box and then we were running forwards and you see skippy sprinting down Ball gets squared to him and he has a tap in and i think the whole the whole team was celebrating with him because everyone felt that's what you deserve you're hardly ever in the spotlight because you hardly ever score but you do all the dirty work you got the back off emmy mm. steepy of, of the, the creative guys and um yeah therefore i think for the start he was unsung but then afterwards everyone knew he's the key and i mean still a young player he's playing week in week out for tottenham He's he deserves all of that. He's uh, amongst the top players that I've ever uh, ever enjoyed playing with. Big words for for Skip. And um, I've no I've, I've I've noticed Christoph that in your team, it's missing a player. And I and I think I don't think he's going to be happy about this. Um, and a player that you've mentioned a couple of times already. And um, well, I thought I'd arrange something a bit special for you. So I've got a, I've got a message from a man that you have not put in your team. Let's see what he says about Christoph Zimmerman. Hey, Zimbo, my dearest gym partner. You know what I'm going to say. Gute Besserung, my friend. Good luck explaining English people what I'm saying. And please don't mess it up and bring my old team Darmstadt back to the Bundesliga. Good luck, my friend. Love you. Ah, oh, great. Come on, explain. What, what does that mean in German, first of all? 
translated word by word, gute Besserung means um, get well soon. Okay. But it's more of a more of a metaphor. Like you shouldn't take it word for word. And um, it's uh, yeah, Maria used it a bit too often, I would say. But okay. it was also quite funny when when someone was making a, like a bad mistake in training, having a really bad pass, like, oh, get better soon in terms of, like, he should get better soon. Um, but it, yeah, as I said, not as a metaphor in terms of someone's ill, because right. here you would say if someone's ill, if someone yeah, get, well like, get well soon. But he meant it in a different way related to football. Okay. But, okay. Uh, yeah, he used it fairly often. It was, it was good fun with him. And yeah, I think... Um, as I said, I think when you asked me about a uh, starting 11, um, I was having mixed feelings because I wanted to put Steepy as well. I wanted to put Mario as well because like, you remember the season. But then if you feel you're going for, for individuals, I mean, look at that. <laughs> it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a field. I mean, um, I was, to be fair, I didn't think of Meta straight away because it was the first season. And automatically you think of the 18-19. But then you think, that, well... He's had a fairly good career, I have to say. So um, there's just not enough enough players. Or probably I would have needed to change formation, just play with one defender and seven midfielders and two strikers. Probably that would have helped. And to be fair, I will get you out of trouble here with, with Mario and, and with Angus. You said to me, um, Chris, should I pick a team of individuals or should I should I pick a team that's a team? So I'll get you out of trouble there. Um, let, but let, let's let's give some words on Mario Vrancic, Christoph. I mean, obviously, he, all, he always, always, always hit those top levels at the perfect times for us as a as a team, obviously, in that iconic season. Yeah. What was he like? What was he like behind the scenes, though? Because I think we we all know what he can deliver on the pitch, but obviously you can see there from from that video he was quite happy to give you a bit of bit of banter. You clearly trained with him in the gym. So what's he like behind the scenes, Barry Branchage? Um, he's um, so. Um, as I said, we I think we joined the club just five days apart. Um, so we've had that whole journey, the whole four years that he's been there. We spent it together. And then um, also when I think we were in the first season, we were in training camp in Ireland. And then when we came back, there was like a gap of five days to fill or three days to fill until I could move into my flat. So he let me stay at his place rent free oh, nice. uh, as well for the three nights. Um, so it's, yeah, he was, he was just being a, a good friend, a very good teammate. And probably the work I did on the gym, he would do afterwards on the pitch, practicing his free kicks. And I mean, I think um, everyone has seen the impact he's had with those. Very, very big one, obviously, against against Leeds. Very emotional one against Sheffield Wednesday. Not a free kick, but a great goal against uh, against uh, Blackburn. Very, very important one. Scored in the Premier League too. So he's, he's made a, a very, very big impact. And um, I think all of the lads in, in the dressing room loved him because he has, he has good banter, arguably better fashion style than me as well. So uh, he's been, he's been a, a very good um, addition to the squad. And I think uh, we've been very glad that we had him for those five years. Christoph, we've we brought up the gym and I want to ask you about this. And the, And I have to admit, this is a completely selfish question because when I met you and we went for dinner together, 
I looked at you and you're an absolute beast, my friend. You are massive. And so my question to you is, what are you benching? Because like it, mate, you're you're just you're you're an absolute beast in the gym. So what are you chest pressing? One rep max, 135 kilogram. <laughs> mate, that would break me in half. <laughs> I had I had to. What's comfortable for you? Comfortable, like for six to eight reps. Yeah, yeah. About a hundred, yeah. Oh, that is uh, that really is something else. And um, we've spoken about that head tackling about about wolves, so we we don't need to speak about that. Um, but perhaps a more uncomfortable subject now, Christoph, is I want to ask you about the Premier League and the first time we went up. And yeah. I want to ask you why do you think we didn't achieve our objective of of staying up? Um, there's lots of talk about us, you know, not being streetwise. Obviously, we didn't spend much money, but what do you put it down to in, in that 2019-20 season? Why, why didn't it work out the way you wanted it to? I think we had a good start. I think from the first five games, we managed to get six points. With obviously, that unexpected win against City. But we also beat Newcastle 3-1. Even the games we lost, we lost 3-2 to Chelsea. Um, also, away at Liverpool, the, the 4-1 defeat, we played good football and we were scoring goals. Yeah. And we lost that bit later on and i feel sometimes you just obviously we were then after or around the men after the man city game i think we had 11 or 12 players out injured that didn't help yeah. in addition to not having spent an awful lot so obviously we couldn't really compensate the players that we've been missing and probably those who had, had to play then didn't play an awful lot in the seasons before and then it was also a lot of a lot of, of them to ask um, to play Premier League week in week out, and you just then struggle to pick up points. And I think when you when you go on a run where from ten games get four points or so, and you 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 don't have a win in thirteen games or something like that, mm. it's mentally very challenging. And also then. We had a break we had that break with COVID, and we all thought okay we can regroup now we can come back stronger now and then i think in those remaining 10 games we scored one goal mm. that was, other than that it was we have to say it was awful and we deserved to get relegated and i just felt we never mentioned to turn it around when we, we would have probably needed one of those man city games a bit later in the season i felt we probably started too good to, I don't know, probably with too many goals with too exciting football that everyone thought, oh, you actually need to compete with them. You need to be up for it when you're playing them. Yeah. It started worse. I don't know if this could have built over the time, but I felt we then started well and then it just went downhill and we never mentioned to get out of this, out of this hole anymore. We never had one people so yeah we had one 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 uh, one win against Leicester at home and one against Bournemouth but we never backed it up I think we didn't have back-to-back -back wins that season mm. and that's then difficult to get out of out of the drop zone and after COVID I felt empty crowds it's certainly for for being a team that's probably the underdog in every game it gets just it just gets harder and therefore we also said okay that season afterwards in the championship when there's still no supporters probably the best side will win because there's no no distractions, no factor from the outside with the supporters. Yeah. Because Millwall is more intimidating when they're yeah. supporting than, yeah. than without. 
sim as simple as that. And then I think we had 97 points and we managed to, it's, it's sort of exactly what we were expecting probably in that last 10 games of the COVID Premier League season where, yeah, we were probably the worst side in the Leeds and we didn't have any support from the outside. We lost mm -hmm. games. And then the same, so, or sort of the reverse effect happened the season after. No supporters, no other influences. We were the strongest yeah. side. We managed to win the league. It, uh, we, we, to be fair, Christoph, we, I would like, to, I would have loved to have spoken about that season also at length, but we, we're not so, we, we've not got the luxury of, of time right now. But obviously, an incredible title win again that that season yeah. without the supporters. But maybe to go back to that question two minutes ago about why didn't it work? Maybe I'll ask you the same question again. And I want to ask you about your 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 personal experience in in the uh, the twenty one twenty two season because you you were injured um, and that was a a mightily tough one. We had a horrific fixture list to start off with, and then the man that yeah exactly you laugh because it was ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah. And then the man that you know played such an important role in bringing you to Norwich City Football Club gets sacked. What was that? time like for you Christoph you know that that win away at Brentford and the feeling around the club at the time um well for me personally obviously I haven't been at the Brentford game because I was on crutches yeah. um, it was I think two weeks after I've had my um ankle surgery and it was a state of shock for me because I was sat at home I followed the game one to one you're excited you're over the moon finally the first first league when I think it was 11th game day we had two points from 10 games before and then finally finally you managed to win your first three points and about half an hour later there's a, a text message saying okay um this is like I think I think the players had already been informed but those who hadn't been in the squad then got informed that the, the club had parted ways with with Daniel and this and his staff um, and then obviously no one should obviously say a word before the official press release a bit later. And um, I remember reading that, that message and I thought that, that can't be true because I've seen I've seen the I've seen the post match press conference and you feel like oh yeah he's he's the manager he's in charge and then a bit later that was it. It's because it's such a hard cut and because you didn't expect it after a win. I have mm -hmm. to say. Um, the week before when we lost 2-1 to Leeds and the week before that when we lost 7-0 at Chelsea. Mm. I thought, okay, after the Leeds game, that, that's not us. That doesn't look like our football. We were just playing kick and rush. We, it didn't look like we had a clue and like we were ourselves anymore. And then I could have seen, okay, this doesn't look like this. this it looks like we've hit the point of, or we passed the point of no return. The team's not playing the football anymore that we want to play. So probably it's time for a change. But then obviously you win, you're over the moon. Yeah. And it's, it's been the first win. And then just I remember the next the next morning coming into training and Daniels, Eddie's, CJ's, Christo Mogala's cars just weren't parked in their places and their spots anymore. Wow. Yeah, that was a sad feeling, I have to say, because they've been around for just almost four and a half years. And I've already had I've obviously had history with them that reached back to, to my time in Germany. So um yeah, that was um, that was a shock. That was definitely a shock for me. Um, but I also believe that some things needed to change. And mm -hmm. obviously, we then started well with a two-one win uh, against Southampton. Yeah. But yeah, the rest of that season is also 
rubbish. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I want to ask you about your experience with Dean Smith, Christoph, because you you were quoted in the Athletic by saying it's probably not the best point to start when a new manager comes in and you say hello while you're on crutches. Yeah. I'm probably in training in ten weeks. So how frustrated were you? Um, and, you know, I mean, just some dreadful luck. I mean, I think you had knee surgery. Obviously, you had ankle ligament damage at one point. You got smashed away at West Ham, which I'm still angry at West Ham about, by the way. Um, and and what I guess what, what was that whole time like for you when Dean Smith came in? Obviously, you were injured. And then what was your personal relationship like with him? Um, first of all, you feel, oh, it's, uh, it's like, what do we say? Like a brush of fresh, fresh air, something like this. Like yeah. you, feel, you feel, okay something new, new energy, probably that's what we needed to sort of wake up the dressing room to give us a chance to, to stay in the league. And, um, and then just some, something new, new inputs, new way of playing, probably some players who get a second chance, some players are playing who haven't been played much before. You win the first game, you feel, okay, that's positive. Um, for me personally, obviously, difficult, difficult times, challenging times. I was still on crutches for another two weeks. And then you could slowly start doing work in the water and then on the alter G and then yeah, you're still six weeks of running. So it's a bit difficult and you feel like, okay, just once you get the chance, just be ready, be in the best shape, be in the best um, position that you can be in. But it's, um, it's challenging when, and then I think then looking back, the first time I was in squad was mid February. So it's, it's taken a long time from his appointment in November until mid February that I was available for him. Um, I always always got along with him very well, also with uh, with Shaky. I yeah. think he was um, a very, very good assistant or is a very good assistant manager. Um, and obviously when I then left in the summer, um, I, I also wish them all the best for this season. Unfortunately, that hasn't gone too well for, for them until, until Boxing Day. Um, and I still hope that um, the guys can now, yeah, sort of, somehow reach the top six we'll we'll talk about this season at, at the end christoph don't don't you worry i'm interested to hear your hear your thoughts um one more difficult question christoph um and that is did you really want to leave because i watched your interview and you're crying you're upset you're obviously emotional be honest did you really did like that that looked to me like you were desperate to stay at the club um, it's not that I wanted to go. I never used the word that I wanted to leave. I felt like to keep my career alive, to have chances to play and to play a few more seasons, mm -hmm. I have to find a club that allows me to play games again. And um, I knew the, the pecking order at that point was Grants, Andrew and Gibbo in whatever order that may have been. And then me. Um, and I think also under, under Dean Smith, that would have probably stayed that way. I mean, I got subbed off in the Premier League season twice as a centre-half before 60 minutes. Right. It's not ideal. Um, so I, I can read the signs. And I was then talking, had a, a long and honest um, conversation with, uh, with Stuart about my situation and with, with uh, the manager as well. So I wanted to just to do the right things for me, for me as a, as a family. And the easiest thing as a, as a private person, the easiest thing would have been to stay. And because we were settled, my wife was 34 weeks pregnant. 
because we had a great life and we loved our life and I wouldn't have wanted to give it up. Um, but I felt if the season now doesn't go well, I will have hardly played any football in the last three and a half years. If this mm -hmm. is not a successful season for us, I'm out of contract, coming from a championship side, hardly haven't played any minutes mm -hmm. yet, because then you feel, oh, we've been in, around Norwich for such a long time. Do you re really want to give up what you have for probably then playing League Two somewhere around the country or then going back to third league in Germany? Would you really want to do that? Or would you say, well, then I end my career at 30, but we settle in Norwich? So that's all questions that run through your head, through your mind, and you have responsibility for your little family as well. Um, and I felt, okay, I'm not ready in the worst case to give up playing football at 30. Fair enough, so mate. I had, the, I had the opportunity here. Um, and I'm very lucky because it was a bit head, head over heels. And I just had conversations on the phone with the coaches here and with the sporting director here. And luckily, my expectations were, were fulfilled and, and I've been welcomed here very well. Um, so I've got, I've got my three years here now. That takes me at least to 32, which I'm very happy about. And we'll see what's what's going to come after that. And um, I'm always I'm always going to be very grateful for the time ahead. And I think we've seen that at the Reading game. I'm always happy to come back. And you're always welcome with open arms, obviously. In that goodbye interview, Christoph, you said, my heart will always be in this place. Do you think you'll come back to Norwich one day? Definitely will always come back. If it's to stay, that's a, difficult, a different question. Um, but... The thing that people have told me when I signed was people are either going to stay here or they'll always come back. And I said, at least I will always come back. Good answer. Good answer. Um, we, we, we're getting to the end of this conversation now, Christoph. But perhaps something that people don't know is that you you were actually a mainstay in the um, Borussia Dortmund 2 side under the new current Norwich City manager, David Wagner. Is that is that that? that yeah, that's true. Isn't it? that too. So, so what do you rate rate him as a manager and what's he like as a man and, and what's he like to work for? Um, he's certainly different from, from Daniel in terms of his um, his character and his, his style of play, I would say. But I haven't, mm -hmm. to be fair, I've, I've had about one and a half years with him. Um, but what they have in common is hard work, clear plan, clear philosophy, and they set very high standards, both of them. I, um, I would say probably the biggest difference is the sessions with Daniel are a lot longer. Right, than okay. With, than with Dave. Yeah. But um, in Dave's sessions, has always it's always been fire, always been intensity. Um, that's always been very high. Um, but they were a bit shorter, those sessions. Not to say that there was no intensity in Daniel's session. That's not right. But it's a difference between two and a half hours and one and a half hour session. <laughs> big difference, big difference. But no, it's... Um, no, it's Hard work, definitely hard work. And I'm pleased to see how well the lads have taken it on and that um, they managed to turn it around. Absolutely. And, and Christoph, I, I know that you've spoken about this season and what, what you hope for the team. It's very evident that you're still a Norwich City supporter. Um, what, what, what do you make of our, our current situation? And, and I guess a final message is, um, you know, what, what would you say to the Norwich City fans now on, on behalf of yourself as well? Um, I think at the moment it's four points off the playoffs um, with nine games to go, I think. So it's everything, everything is possible. Anything is possible. Playoffs, not top two, I'm that yeah. realistic, but playoffs are definitely possible. 
Um, so I really hope, fingers crossed, everything crossed, that uh, the lads will be able to achieve that. And I, um, I said that at the Reading game as well. I just hope everyone gets behind them. Everyone sees the change that's been going on ever since Dave has been in, in charge. I think there's also a fairly strong connection again with the supporters. That this is all coming back. Mm. Let's use this momentum, get everyone on boards, and then don't look back all in for the, for the rest of the season. And and um, and what about yourself, Christoph? What's a message from from you for all of those Norwich fans that you know sung your name in the stands for those those five years? Obviously, there'll be thousands upon thousands of them watching you, looking at your face now. What's your message to those to those Norwich City supporters? Um, it would be fairly similar to what I said in the goodbye interview, and it's um, that I've I've just been so grateful for for the moments, for the years that we have, for those moments we we shared together. That's as I said, my heart's my heart will always be in that place. That the place is home to me and to my family, and that we are an entirely, um, entirely grateful and eternally grateful for everything, the reception that we've been given, and that will always will always come back. Christoph, um, it's been an absolute pleasure, privilege, honour to interview you today. Thank you so much, and thank you. Uh, thank you so much to you, Norwich City fans, for watching and listening to this. If you've enjoyed this special podcast do give it a thumbs up on youtube tweet us at talk norris city share your thoughts and reflections on on the the man the myth the legend that's christoph <laughs> zillman himself and um, thank you so much uh, for watching and uh christoph there's only one thing left to say what's that oh. yeah. <laughs> oh, city, yeah i know what you mean <laughs> I, was, I was thinking I was torn between up the Canaries and on the Ball City. Okay, we'll take we'll take that up the Canaries. <laughs> <laughs>